Hey, I'm Waylon. And I'm Allie. Welcome back to the Entrepreneurs Podcast, the podcast for and by women entrepreneurs. Every week, we share inspiring and insightful conversations with women entrepreneurs from around the world. To check out our past episodes and be notified in our future ones, subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on now. Today, we're chatting with New York Times bestselling author, Lindsay Pollack. She's also a keynote speaker, shaping how future organizations are managed and led. Lindsay writes to inspire others and provide advice spotlighted in her recent book titled Recalculating. Get ready as we talk with Lindsay about what being an entrepreneur and an author means, creating positivity on social media and dealing with career changes. Hello and welcome back to the Entrepreneurs Podcast. We are more than excited to have Lindsay on the podcast today. How are you doing today? I am so happy to be here and just thrilled that a podcast like this is out there and and glad to talk to you. Wow. Thank you so much. That's so sweet. Um, We really appreciate you coming on to share your story because each guest we have on kind of has like a different background, maybe in bio or tech or any sort of field. But what we're really excited to have on, and I don't think we've really had this before, is like a best-selling author, like sharing your experiences with the world, not just kind of of having this for like within your own internal companies, taking those lessons and sharing with the next generation. So I am completely confident that we are going to be able to get into some really cool stories with you, some cool takeaways that are actionable for our listeners um, and everything in between. Before I read your quick little bio that we have, though, I would love to ask you our iconic intro question, which is what excites you when you wake up in the morning? Ooh, what excites me when I wake up in the morning? Um, I think learning. I think, what am I going to learn today? What am I going to do today that's new? I feel really curious and really excited to kind of fill my brain with all the stuff that's going on and make sure that just every day I'm adding to my knowledge and my ideas and things I can share with other people. So I would say, what am I going to learn today? I absolutely love that. And I think that's a question I'm trying to integrate into my own daily life. I think oftentimes I feel like I just like learn for the sake of learning, but I'm not actually proactively asking myself, like, what am I going to learn today? And even like logging what I'm learning. Um, but I think your learning journey is very reflected in all of the amazing things that you've done. Um, you are a New York Times bestselling author and one of the world's leading career and workplace experts. You were named 2020 Thinkers 50 Radar List, which honors the top global management thinkers whose work is shaping the future of how organizations are managed and led. Um, but you are also a huge inspiration for many Gen Zs and many companies to change the way that they're looking at the workplace and looking at the workplace environment. And these are only a couple of the amazing things that you've done. Um, and so we're super excited to kind of like dig a little deeper there as well. Thank you so much. Um, Well, to start us off, um, I'd love to ask a little bit more about what it was like becoming a published author. You've written uh, numerous books. Um, Can you tell us a little bit of each one and which one was your favorite one to write? Oh gosh, that's like uh, picking between your children, right? (laughs) I don't know if I want to play favorites. Um, Yes, I would love to tell you, and, and I love talking about writing and speaking as entrepreneurship, because I think a lot of people don't think of it that way. They think of starting a business with lots of employees and product and capital. And the reality is I have been an entrepreneur for 20 years as a writer and speaker and consultant. It's just a very different model. Um, So it really is a career path that I didn't know existed when I was starting out. And I feel really fortunate 
um, to have gotten into it. And the reality is it's very hard to just write a book and yes. get published. You have to build what they call platform um, beforehand, mm. which is yeah, maybe it's me. a blog, maybe it's a social media following. Um, for me, I really started public speaking and blogging. So I was giving little workshops oh. on college campuses and to Girl Scout troops and you know all these things. And I was working part-time at a website called uh, workingwoman.com and then workingmother.com. Oh. So I was kind of in the media world and saw that all these people were speakers and writers and consultants. And so I started writing and speaking wherever I could. So I was writing some newsletters for a couple of nonprofits. Um, I was giving little workshops, like I said. I did some freelance work for a corporate training company where I was teaching business writing um, to uh, corporate people, really like 10 different jobs all at once, wow. almost like an actor, you know, just trying to get work yeah, wherever yeah. you could find it. Um, and um, the big change was I started networking with other writers and uh, literary agents who kind of helped you get a deal. I took a writing class at a program in New York where I'm based called Gotham Writers Workshop. And I chose it because it was taught by real writers who were published oh. um, authors. So it wasn't just about how to write, but how to get published. And I think you know, the biggest thing I'll say about getting a book deal is it's a business and you have to learn how to network in that world. How does that world work? You know, it's not magic just because it's, you know, kind of exciting to do it. And I think it's similar to like a Hollywood model where it's business and you have to learn where those people are. You have to write a book proposal for a nonfiction book. So I had to learn how to do that. You have to get an agent. Um, so I learned how to do that. And, you know, I think I got a little bit lucky that I was writing about how to get a job in sort of the new digital economy. My first book was called Getting from College to Career. Uh -huh. And that topic was very topical with the millennial generation just coming up and I kind of hit on something. But, you know, it wasn't like I sat and magically wrote a book and sold it. It was really kind of a, a business venture. And if I had to pick my favorite book, it's probably the first one because it's what made me an author. And it's really exciting to write something and then be able to hold it in your hands yeah. at a bookstore. That was a pretty cool moment. That's crazy. Like imagine that full circle moment, but I think not just within like the book career, but also especially in this entrepreneurship business career or this industry, people talk a lot about the finish line and like that victorious photo when you're like all finished and you're all beautiful and picture perfect and ready to go. But I can only imagine how many hours, days, weeks, months, and years it took to get to that place. So if you could kind of tell me the three points of inflection that led you to the point of writing that book, maybe you changed your career, maybe you had a big learning lesson, you decided to reach out to a publisher, what really made you feel ready to take your learnings, take your experiences and put pen to paper? So I would say the first was getting laid off from my job, which at the time was super upsetting and traumatic. I loved workingwoman.com. I loved my colleagues. I'd probably still be there if it still existed. Um, but in the dot-com bust of um, the late 90s, early 2000s, it went bankrupt. And oh. I was devastated. And I was sort of like half job hunting, half kind of treading water and kind of trying to freelance. And I think because I had lost that opportunity, it sort of forced me to be creative and look at some of my skills. And that's where the writing um, kind of started to happen. And I thought, oh, wow, maybe I could actually really do this. But the irony is, even when I was writing my book, I was like, this is probably just something I'm doing until I get a job. And then yeah. it kind of turned into my career. So I think the, the sort of adversity of the layoff was a really important inflection point that I know some people kind of fall off a cliff, but I, I somehow 
you know, after much pain and suffering and tears turned it into something. Um, I would say the second thing is really, as I mentioned, understanding that writing was a business and mm. whoever it was, and I wish I could remember who told me about the need to write a book proposal, which is not true for fiction. This is just nonfiction, but it's essentially a business plan for the book. And somebody yeah. recommended this book called How to Write the Perfect Book Proposal. And it taught you how to do it. And I followed it word for word. And I had my document of the book proposal. Um, I had previously worked on a, a book um, as a co-author. So I knew a little bit about it. But one of the things that the book explained was that you don't really just say, I'm writing a great book. The book is great. You have to explain who's going to buy it and why. You have to have a marketing plan. And so I think really seeing it as a business um, was really important. And I think the third piece was kind of learning about myself, how I was going to get it done. And I had outlines and I had sticky notes all over my walls and I had folders for everything. Um, and what I did was figured out that for me, and this might not be true for everybody, I need a really clear structure. Um, mm. And the book had 90 tips. So I thought, okay, if I break it up into 90 tips, I could write one tip a day, you know, and, mm. and have a plan for doing it. So I know some people just want to wait for inspiration to strike. But to me, and it's kind of my personality, I'm a Virgo, I don't know, very type A, I needed a plan. And so having that plan and executing for me made me able to be creative because I knew kind of what I needed to get done. And I think everybody has to kind of find sort of like when you're a student, you have to figure out how you study best you know, mm -hmm. how you get things done. That was really important. And I hear journalists talk about it. You can't just wait for the muse to sort of hit you and feel like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm inspired to write. You have to sit down every day and bang out a certain number of words. And I think learning that in a creative field is really important. So those are three things that come to mind. That's crazy that you mentioned that. I was literally talking to one of my friends yesterday because I'm taking a visual arts class on web design. And I was like, it is so hard sometimes to like sit down and have like three hours to like be creative. Like I have to finish this project by tomorrow. So I need to bang this out in like two hours and I need to make sure I'm like creative during those times. I was telling him how hard it was. And he looked at me and he was like, you're never probably gonna have like days and days on end to be creative. Like sometimes that time pressure is good to really just like push you to actually create something. And I think that's very true with writing a book and like the way you look at writing a book because oftentimes I feel like people are like oh like inspiration will hit you and then like the book will follow um but I feel like that's such like a gamble to like you know place your bets on so I love how you were able to structure the book and like plan out your time effectively around creating that book but what really prompted you to start that writing process? Do you remember what like day one of writing your first book looked like? Oh gosh, that's such a good question. I don't, but I'll tell you two things I remember really clearly. One was hitting on that 90 tips structure because it was like, what I did, it was called Getting From College to Career. And my very clear vision was I want to write the book I wish I had had when I was in college. And I was very excited. It was sort of like your classic mm. well-rounded liberal arts, American studies, multiple directions, you know, not sure. And I didn't feel like there was a lot of advice for that kind of person. And sure. so my mission, I was so clear, kind of like you have to know your ideal customer when you run a business. It was, what do I wish I had known in that moment? And I was in mm. my late twenties, so I wasn't that far removed. And, and that always drove me. So I think being very, very clear that I had to feel helpful. 
um, was number one. And so every time I remember I rented this little office, it's so funny. I couldn't afford very much. I didn't want to write from home because it was just too hard for me. And there was a company that said, well, we have a little office, but it's really cheap. And the reason it's cheap is it's actually a recording studio. And it had that like foamy stuff on the wall. So I was in this great. like, it was almost like, um, you know, like in an insane asylum when they had oh my like God. a foam on the oh wall or gosh. something. And I was like, okay, I'm in a padded room writing. And yeah. people used to like peek in from the company. Like, what is she doing like, what is, Yeah. And it was sort of, it was very like peaceful and Zen. Um, yeah. So I remember that. The second thing I remember is you do have, an editor right who helps you and and kind of guides you along a little bit less than I expected but it was um, always it was it was helpful yeah I remember I handed in my first draft and she said okay but um have you ever made a mistake Ooh. I was like what do you mean I make mistakes all the time my god I've screwed up so much she said you're not showing that in the book and I thought as an author of a how-to book that I had to be perfect and say like Mm -hmm. I did everything perfectly so you can trust me to give advice and I remember the editor said, it's actually the opposite. If you yeah. admit your mistakes and how you overcame them, people will connect with you more. And to this day, when people read that book, and I hope you will check it out, I'd love to send you both copies. Please, There's yeah. a part at the beginning where I talk about um, you know, being laid off. When I came back from graduate school and I didn't have a job yet, and I was lying under the covers eating frozen yogurt with rainbow sprinkles. Oh my God. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. And- Everyone remembers that like, oh God, I've had that moment, Yeah. but I hadn't put it in the original draft because I thought nobody wants to think I'm a loser. It's like, no, they want to know that you overcame that and how you did. Exactly. So that's a really big lesson on, you know, podcasting or writing or speaking. People want to hear the truth. And I thought that you would be more credible by being perfect. And it's actually the opposite. So that was a really big learning experience. I resonate with that so, so, so much. I think one of my biggest lessons I learned in 2021 was how powerful it can be to be vulnerable, particularly as someone who loves to connect with people. You don't connect with people by being like, my life is so perfect all the time. Nothing is wrong. Even if you want to go more contemporary and talk about the power of influencers right now, the influencers who are becoming obsolete are the ones who are putting out this perfect image of them being so productive all the time, so happy, nothing's wrong. They're sipping their matcha latte, yoga at five in the morning, avocado toast. Like people are sick of that. Like it, it's detestive. It makes you feel inhumane. It makes you feel like they're a robot. The people where you really feel connected to are the ones that are more quirky and weird and mess up and talk about the messing up and laugh at themselves, but then show how they're able to get back on it. And we'll inspire because we talk about this all the time, I think. Um, we want to put up this facade that you're this perfect image and you're doing so well, but in reality, that can be the worst thing for you, both for yourself, because you kind of hold yourself to this unrealistic standard and you feel like even like this, like point of removed or from yourself, which feels so difficult and terrible from like a um, self-image point of view. But then also with those around you, if everyone's like, oh my God, last night's homework was so hard. And you're like, no, it was perfect. It was no issue. Like you just alienated yourself without even like realizing that just by sometimes not showing the vulnerabilities. So yeah, I completely, completely relate to that. So with that in mind and kind of seeing that growth of your books and all that sort of thing, if you had to write a book about your life right now or have like a short title of where you are and what you've learned, what would that title of your book be? Oh gosh, it has to be something like imperfect or of overcoming course. perfectionism or something like yeah. that. Um, you know, I went to an Ivy League school and it's my 25th this year and I'm on the committee. Congratulations. And we were, thank you. Uh, we were planning the panels, right? And there are mm-hmm. some very prominent, very successful people in my class. Mm-hmm. And on the planning committee, everyone's like, none of us want to hear from them. <laughs> like we want to hear from the people who messed up and overcame it. So I'm yeah. actually moderating a panel on life transitions. 
and we have a panel Amazing. on unconventional career choices. Yeah. And it was funny because we've been, you know, reaching out to people to invite them to the reunion. And I was like, I can't go. I just got divorced. I can't go. I'm not successful enough. I can't go. I gained 20 pounds. And it's like wow. everybody had something where they felt they weren't good enough wow. to go. And, and what I keep telling people is everybody feels everyone. that way. Yeah. <laughs> everyone feels like they did college wrong. Everybody yeah. feels like they weren't as successful as everybody else. Everybody has the FOMO and, you know, all that. And I, I wonder, I'm so curious if you're a generation, I consider myself a Gen X, if your generation has less of that, because I do think we didn't have social media, but I definitely felt a pressure to put on a good face, you know, and look perfect. And I think over the past 25 years since college, it's been this experience of, wow, the more honest I am, the more people like me, the more I like other yeah. people, the happier mm -hmm. I am. And so it's been this almost like deconstruction of that perfectionism over time. Now I still fall into it. I color my hair, you know, <laughs> like nobody's perfect. I'm doing Invisalign, you know, all of those things. Yeah. But I think it's sort of that feeling that, you know, you're never good enough or never as good as everyone else. And I'll tell you, I actually, I'm very active on LinkedIn, but uh, during the pandemic, I stopped using Instagram and Facebook because it pulled that, it pulled me back into that perfectionism that mm. I'm really trying to get away from. But I'd love to hear what you think, you know, being a different generation, because I, I think I, your generation is so much more authentic than yeah. I ever was. I think it's a weird dynamic where I feel the most authentic self with the people I am around every day at college because there is no place to hide. Like I cry in my room and my next door neighbor can hear me like full on bawling out. So I feel like there's a sense of authenticity with the people that you're surrounded with at that moment where I feel like I definitely resonate with your story is like interacting with people in high school or middle school, for example, because like they just knew you at such a different time in your life. And like I've changed, I've grown in so many different ways and many imperfect ways as well. And so sometimes when I'm like, you know, talking to old high school friends, I still feel myself like having the urge to put on a very like perfect persona especially you know coming to Princeton and then like everyone's like oh like you went to Princeton like your life must be so good all the time like you must be like thriving there like you have to be thriving there and like sometimes I'm not and like being okay with that but also like kind of balancing that facade as well it has been like a really I don't know just a weird journey for me but I don't know Ali what what are your thoughts yeah, we've talked about this a lot, especially on one of our other podcasts that we host called Kind of All Good, which is the sentiment that things aren't all good. They're kind of all good. And that's really what we go on about. But yeah, uh, Will and I chatted a lot about this in reference to being more connective. I think Waylon really hits the nail on the head of that. Like just as humans, we are the most authentic, realist version of ourselves for those who are around us. May that be in person, your next door neighbors, your dorm mates, people you're in class with, or even online, anyone who knows me or texts me knows that I cannot spell one word for the life of me when I text. Like I, I, I type so quickly and I have no, I just have nothing like that. And that's really the weirdest. I'm not a great texter eloquently at all. And when I need to be, I will, but that's like the weird, that's, that's who I am and how I kind of operate with those who I'm in close proximity with. But yeah, like, to be quite honest, I was having a conversation with my friend on Sunday or this entrepreneurship event, everyone's, you know, putting up their best, their best, they're wearing their best suit, everyone's putting their best version of themselves possible, and everyone's like networking, what's your WhatsApp, WeChat, Instagram, LinkedIn, all those check, check boxes, and my friend doesn't have Instagram, or he did, but he decided to come off of it, 
And he's like, do I go back on it? Da, 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 da. Like, do you use it? And I'm at a point right now with my social media where I use it to create, not consume. When I would consume, I mean, like scroll through Instagram, look through stories. Sure, I've got some friends, Waylon, I've got wonderful friends who are on Instagram. I'd love to hear about their lives. The people I really care about, I'm speaking to them anyway. If I hear that Waylon went to a fun concert the weekend, I want her to FaceTime me and tell me about it. I don't want to see it from some photo. Um, I don't know if that's selfish. I don't know if that's some sort of way, but it just feels like twice a little bit more removed. So I go in there and I almost, this might seem inauthentic. And I will say like my Instagram is not the most authentic version of myself possible. Um, it is a personal brand. It is a personal website. I'm putting a good image there. It's public. Anyone can see it because it does help our, my own brand. It helps uh, the entrepreneurs network grow. It helps like it's there for more strategic reasons. Same with like the LinkedIn. But in terms of those connectivity points, people do see what Waylon and I are doing, especially in reference to the Entrepreneurs Network, like from high school, middle school, which is interesting in some ways. Because um, again, if like, I'm, I, it's crazy to think that we would ever have like a reunion. I feel like we just graduated, but eventually in some respects, maybe. Um, but yeah, people kind of keep a tab on you or people keep tabs on each other, which I think is interesting that that silent Instagram stalking that you can't see, like it happens, like. I met some other, they're like, oh, I've seen what you're doing. Like, sometimes you don't see it. So it's funny when like the, um, you said your reunion's happening soon. I think there's going to be a little less small talk because people kind of already know what you've mm. been doing. They know where you've been working. They know you traveled here. They know you have a new kid. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answered any of your questions or all of them, but that's my sense on this. I love it. It's so interesting to hear your perspective because we didn't have that. Everything was in person. So sure. there wasn't this like shadow world where you had to create a whole persona. But I had two thoughts. One is since I've given up Instagram and Facebook, I text so much more, sure. which is one-on-one, -on -one, which is personal, which feels Absolutely. very real. I actually, that's my, and I'm getting together with people more because it would mm -hmm. be like, oh, I saw your picture. So I feel like I've seen you, but I haven't actually yeah, seen you. Exactly. So I'm much more social in real life, um, which 100%. I'm really enjoying. Uh, the other thing I'll say is I think the hardest thing for me starting my own business in my 20s was everybody else seemed to have a job and mm. entrepreneurship is much more common today, but still, I would guess most of your friends are going to be employed. And mm. I always felt alone and I felt like everyone thought I was eating bonbons and like what I was doing wasn't a real job and all that. So it was, I was very hard on myself about it. And I think once I found a community of other people who were entrepreneurial, which for me was in person and kind of going to meetings of women who were starting their own businesses, mm -hmm. I do think the camaraderie and community of social media can be really helpful when you're starting your own business because yeah. it can be very lonely. I actually, I had been working from home since the pandemic. And just yesterday, I signed a lease in an office in a co-working space because I really miss being around other people doing work. And so one of the things I wrote about um, in my latest book, Recalculating, is there's two different kinds of social media usage. There's passive, which is scrolling, right? Sure. And just like, oh, whatever, I'm just going to kind of scroll through and just see what everybody else is doing. And that can be very, very toxic and yes. damaging to your mental health. Absolutely. Active social media scrolling is... I'm going to go and look for other people who are writers to connect. Yeah. I'm going to look for people I admire and see where they're traveling to or how yes. they're decorating their homes. And so that to sort of say, I want to be X. So I'm going to follow 20 people who are doing that for inspiration. So when I'm feeling down, I'm going to look at what they're doing, sort of like taking jealousy or envy and not saying like, it makes me feel bad, but mm -hmm. ooh, I want that. I'm going to see how they did it. And what yeah. you have access to is 
like what I couldn't do that I could do now is I can look at a hundred million other authors and see how they're promoting their books. It's true. That's an amazing resource. So I think it's that mind shift of social media that might be helpful, but I'd love to, to hear what you think. Oh, I love that. I think it's so important to like social media inherently at its core is not a bad thing. I think you're so right in saying it's the way we think about using it because there's some people who are like social media is just bad. Um, but that really like negates all of the like creativity that you can get, the inspiration that you can get. Um, but I'd love to pivot slightly and talk a little bit more about your most recent book. I know you mentioned it, Recalculating, Navigate Your Career Through the Changing World of Work. But I really like to know, like, how were you able to identify different trends, even the social media trend, the passive and active? What kind of helped you find those patterns and helped you think through those patterns? Uh, thank you for that question. I didn't mean to write this book. I was still out promoting my third book, The Remix, when the pandemic hit. And I mean, everything stopped. And mm -hmm. I mostly uh, make my income and promote my books through public speaking. So people pay me to give a speech at a conference or at a mm. company or college. And that completely stopped. And it was the same instinct that I had with getting from college to career, which was, oh my gosh, what is everybody else doing? You know, it's mm. that curiosity of like, holy cow, how are you running your business? How are you doing things? Yeah. And I started calling and texting people and I didn't think of it as a book. I thought it'd be blog posts or podcast, you know, sure. and it was my agent who's kind of a partner to me who said, you know, this could be a book. Yeah. Truly believing if I'm worried and wondering other people are too. And For I think sure. you had that instinct with the podcast, right? Yeah. Which is, I'm going to go out and be curious and ask people what they're doing. And so many people talked about social media and doom scrolling and all that, that I started researching it. I think I just Googled to find that particular study about active versus, versus passive. Um, but you go down those rabbit holes. And interestingly, there's a whole chapter in the book um, about recalculating in your current job. So how can you not actually change jobs or start a business, but stay exactly where you are, but sort of rethink how you approach it. And that was because somebody told me that was their strategy. So mm. what happens is, you know, kind of like a good journalist, you start to ask people questions and that raises another issue and you open that can of worms and you For kind sure. of follow that. But I think it's that, that natural curiosity of wanting to know what is everybody else doing? How are they handling it? Tell me how you did that. And trusting that if I'm struggling with something, other people are too. And so recalculating is really about moving forward, kind of like when you hit traffic in your car and your GPS recalculates, it's about finding those other paths if what you were planning on doesn't work out. Um, one of the things that I read about your book was that you had a section on how we can make the most out of jobs that we don't love. And I find mm. that so fascinating because oftentimes people are like, you don't like your job, quit your job and like find something else. But yeah. so many times, like for financial reasons, for stability, like quitting your job is not an option. It's about yeah. making the most out of that job. So for maybe someone post-grad, like just got out of um, graduating um, and they're in their first job and they don't love it and they see other people around them loving their job, what would you say to them? Mm. So I think it's particularly important early in your career when you don't have a lot of experience to know that everything is learning. So sure. if you're unhappy, now if it's toxic, if it's discriminatory, get out 100%. Yep. But if you just kind of don't love it, but there are things about it, you know, that are okay, you can learn, use it as a learning opportunity. And there are a couple ways to do that. One is to learn what you don't want to do. So yeah. what is it specifically about the job? You know, I love to write and speak. So people said, oh, you should be a lawyer. And I actually mm. went to a law firm 
And what I realized was I love the writing. I love the speaking, but lawyers fight all the time. And you're always, you always have an adversary. And I didn't like that, but it was important mm. to know that that was the component of it that, that I didn't, I didn't like. like. I right? see. So if you go to a college and say, I really liked it, like the people I didn't like that it was in a city or I didn't like okay. that it was in a rural area. Now you can say, okay, now I know for the next job that that's not going to work. So I think one is kind of, it, it's sort of like a navigation. It's information um, mm. kind of, this, you know, like a GPS. The second thing is, I think that we discount the importance of learning how to deal with difficult things. So mm. um, I do a lot of workshops um, for early career professionals on, you know, starting out right, building your personal sure. brand, um, accelerating your career, basically soft skills. Yeah. And I'll often do a whole presentation and someone will come up to me at the end, kind of like sheepishly and say, you know, I, I, I understood everything and it was really helpful. The ideas were good, but I can't do any of that because I have the bad boss. I have the oh. boss that everybody hates. You know, my boss is awful. And I always okay. sort of say like, congratulations, because you're going to have bad bosses yeah. in your life. <laughs> you're going to have bad clients. You're going to deal with difficult people. I've never in 25 years met someone who's like, you know, everyone I met in business was just delightful. And like, Amazing. I just sailed yeah. through and like, exactly. no problems ever. Yeah. No. So if you see it as like, huh, this boss is a real micromanager. How am I going to overcome that? all right, what am I going to do here? How am I going to make this work? Again, not if they're toxic, not if they're discriminating, but if they're just difficult, yeah. how do you see it as like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll up my sleeves here and figure Absolutely. this out? Because I will tell you, the people I most admire who are very successful are the ones who did the big turnaround in the failing department, or they handled it. the most difficult clients, or they can work for the toughest boss and still overcome. And there's a, a woman I really admire named Carla Harris, um, who's a managing partner at Morgan Stanley. She's a fabulous speaker and an author, um, and she's a Black woman. And she said the first boss she had in banking was racist and said, I don't want you to work for me. I don't want a Black woman on my team. And she, no. and, and that is as toxic as it gets. And guess what? He ended up naming his daughter after her because they came, became so close. Oh my That's God. That's how much she turned that around. And I'm like, wow, yeah. how did you do that? And that's not always the right Thing to do if someone's really abusive. But yeah. She was like, all right, okay, I see this as a challenge. And there's okay. something really, and I see that as a speaker. If I have an audience who's like, I don't want to be here, I don't want to talk about this. I'm like, sure. okay, all right, all like, right, game on, game on, right? And I think there's something about that that if you can take that attitude, you're going to be much happier and more successful. Um, if you can can sort of turn it around and not feel sorry for yourself for being in a tough situation, but so there was a recent college grad, uh, she had a marketing degree. She graduated like in December, right in the pandemic, December, 2020. And she couldn't find a job because the mm. market was just a disaster. And um, she ended up working in a grocery store because that was the only job she could get. She had to start paying her loans and she needed money and she didn't have any support. And she was like, okay, this is not my dream job, but you know what? I'm going to talk to every single person who comes through my checkout line and tell them I'm job hunting. I'm going to talk wow. to the grocery store about mm -hmm. their marketing and help them with the advertisements because that's what I want to do. I'm going to ask if I can help set up the displays in the store because that's marketing. And she was wow. like, all right, I am going to turn this into something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that is attitude, right? That's Absolutely. positivity. And I really admire that. And it's not, it's not to say that we, you know, don't underpay people and that there are a lot of really bad employers out there, but if you can take a positive attitude, I think it will get you very, very far as long as you're not in a really toxic situation. I cannot tell you how I think how applicable and how relevant that is for someone listening, maybe who's dealing with a difficult boss 
or they think they're in a pretty difficult situation right now. They feel like they're kind of stuck. Mm -hmm. So let's say someone's listening to this, like, okay, yes, totally agree. In theory, I can learn from something, but what can I do today? What can I say today at my office? What can I do to change my mindset today? What are some three actionable points that someone could do right now? They're sitting in their office, they're on their commute to work. They're begrudgingly going to the same situation or hopping onto those same Zoom calls. What are three mindset shifts or things that they can kind of think about and ground themselves as they're kind of going about this chapter in their life? My friend, Lori Rudiman, who wrote a great book called Betting on You, says, whenever you are stuck, learn something. Mm. Take 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, listen to a podcast, watch a how-to video on YouTube, learn something. Learn something. You can always learn something. So I love that as a first step, no matter what. Um, the second is, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, but I'm a big fan of Carol Dweck and the growth mindset. And mm. the growth mindset is I can get better at anything. I can improve anything. And you have to take very, very small steps. So the magic, I think, of the growth mindset is wherever you're stuck, she calls it a fixed mindset, like this job is terrible. You know, I hate this job. I'm never going to be happy here. You add the word yet to the end of anything. So I'm not happy here yet. I don't like this job yet, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not passing this class yet. I can't sing yet because it opens up your mind to like, okay, if it just hasn't happened yet, what's it going to take me to get there? I bet I could, again, watch a video. I could get a tutor. I could take a class. I could read a book. I could ask a friend for help. It sort of opens your mind. And to me, it's very daunting to think about like learning how to cook. But it's not daunting to say, okay, tomorrow I'm going to read an article on how to boil an egg, right? And I'm just going to do that one tiny thing. So I think baby, baby steps can lead you to enormous, enormous places. So I think that's important. And I think the third is community. I think learning that you're not the first person in the world to have a bad boss. You're not the first person in the world to have a crappy job. Ask people, don't mm-hmm. hide it and say, oh my God, I feel so sorry for myself. You know, this is terrible. But talk to 50 people and be like, how did you handle a bad boss? What did you do? Right. And people are going to give you really good advice. And I know that, again, sometimes we want to be perfect. I think of this I'm a parent, I have a 10 year old daughter. And, you know, she does something like, oh, it's the worst thing in the world. And people are like, oh, my 10 year old did that too. And it's like, oh, I'm normal. It's okay. <laughs> You know, so I think that sort of knowing that you're not alone, particularly in a bad workplace situation, and that there are always things that you can do um, is really powerful. Absolutely. I love that. Um, whenever someone says growth mindset is about like making those baby baby steps, I watched a TikTok that really stuck with me, but Tell it was me. someone with this like paper towel roll. And it was like, you know, every day you do like one thing, right? It's like ripping one paper towel off the roll and like you don't really see the difference like between day one and day 10 like the role looks the same but mm-hmm. then like after like 30 60 days like you can visibly see the role getting smaller and smaller and it's like it's that's true. exactly what change and like baby steps um towards a career change or learning something is going to look like you're not going to see change immediately but it's going to come which is really promising I like that visual image. I'm going to think about that now. It's a good one. It's a good one. I like There's that. There's another thing, TikTok. and I, I think it's like a Zen saying. I've heard this a million times, but something sure. like, you know, the best time to have started something was like 10 years ago. The yeah. second best time is right now, right? Exactly. So, okay, you can't exactly. bemoan what you didn't do. Just exactly. start. Just yeah. start. My friend, um, Dory Clark, she wrote a book called The Long Game. She says, we overestimate what we can do in a day, yes. but we underestimate what we can do in a month. We underestimate 100%. what we can do in a year. 
100%. Um, a couple months ago, uh, Waylon and I started with a friend of ours in Shanghai called something called the Why Wait Collective, which is the first Gen Z-led women entrepreneurship conference in China. We had like 300 women there. We're starting around the world and it's called the Why Wait Collective because it's like, why are you waiting? Like, stop waiting, just start now. I'll send you some info about it, but that's yes. exactly the same I'm so you were jealous about of it. all of you. We didn't no, have any no, of like, this when I was a student. Oh, I would have made this stuff up. What you just it. said was like, there's no better time than now. Like that's, it's really it. There's no better time now. You are more ready now. You are more educated. You are better connected now than you are ever in your life. Like just do something now. Um, so yeah, love all the sentiments. As we begin wrapping up, we have a few final questions we'd love to ask you. Starting off with what is something that you love about yourself today? Oh, I love that I am in a position to meet people like all of you and that I get to be interviewed on these podcasts and be interviewed for articles and speak at conferences just to have the privilege of people wanting to hear my thoughts and getting to be in these rooms with people who are thinking about big things is just the best and everything I ever dreamed of truly. I love that so much. Um, and for people who want to continue <laughs> their learning journey and their learning journey with you, I know you recently started a LinkedIn learning course. Could you tell us just a little bit about it and how we can get involved? Yes. LinkedIn learning is always on the side of your LinkedIn page, the, uh, the video courses. And I've just launched my first one. It's called Developing Organizational Awareness. And I'll share a link so that people can take the course for free. It's just 38 minutes. Um, and it's really about getting to know um, any organization that you're part of, how to network within it, how to succeed, how to read a room, how to play office politics, really kind of professionalism one-on-one. -on -one. And I'm super excited about it. And I filmed it uh, in my apartment in New York during the pandemic in my wow. slippers. So you can oh. see behind the scenes shot. Um, but I love LinkedIn and um, I post all of my work there and this new course is really exciting. So I'd love to connect with any of you on LinkedIn. That's awesome. And to finish us off, what is something that you were grateful for today? I am grateful for your generation and fixing problems that we made and being enthusiastic and really kind of changing our world. I am so bullish on Gen Z and young people today. And I love your energy and enthusiasm and your desire, I think, to connect with other generations. Again, I'm not so sure I was that wise and it just feels really good to have these kind of intergenerational conversations. So I am grateful for you. I love it. We're grateful for you and for you coming on this podcast and giving us such great advice um, and for your openness to share. I think that's a huge one. I have a fun little question. I saw on your Twitter that you have been uh, playing Wordle and I have to know, do you have a favorite starting word? Do you like go for the same starting word? What is your Wordle strategy? I'm so glad we didn't start with this because I would have <laughs> completely hijacked the interview with this. Okay, I start with adieu, A-D-I-E-U because I'm obsessed with vowels and I feel like if I know what vowels are in the word, I have a good start. So I always start with adieu. How about you? I always start with, okay, my starting ones are ocean. I've tried ocean and radio and something with like oh. a ST, like store or something. I like getting my STRs mm. and um, some of my the My second word is sport usually or short Ooh, that's because a good I want to get the SP, R and T in there. We love good word games, especially when you play with other people. Cause there's always someone who like knows more about like sports or like art 
or like random Roman gods like and goddesses. Oh my god, always classic, <laughs> classic. Some like niche city. Sometimes they do. This was so lovely, Lindsay. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me and for all the great work you do. And thanks everyone for listening. And quickly before um, we end the podcast, for anyone who wants to continue to follow your journey, um, where can they and how can they find you? Sure. I'm most active on LinkedIn as well as my website. You can find me at my name, lindsaypollock.com, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-P-O-L-L-A-K. Amazing. Well, we can't wait to have you back on the podcast and thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. That wraps it up for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope hearing from Lindsay and learning about her journey inspires you to persevere through difficult situations and keep doing what you love. If you like this episode, subscribe to us at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this podcast now. Even better, leave us a five-star review and share your thoughts on the podcast. Want to get in touch, send questions, or suggest a guest? We read every one of our emails and DMs, so feel free to reach out to us via our Instagram, LinkedIn, or email. You can also check out the show notes for more ways to chat. The Entrepreneur's Podcast is one of just five shows under the Entrepreneur's Network. Each podcast show explores its own niche community of women entrepreneurs. To explore our other amazing shows, head over to our website at entrepreneursnetwork.com. Thank you to our amazing team at the Entrepreneurs Network, especially today's lead podcast producers, Chandi and Cindy.